are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Greg. Short and sweet today, those two verses from 1 Corinthians. Well, I do want to honor and recognize a couple of YMCA leaders that we have with us. I do know that we have a number of retired YMCA team members or those who have moved into other fields or professions. So I see you out there as well, Greg Watke and Jessica Schaefer and others among those. But we also have with us today Mark Erke. And Mark, if you just stand very briefly. Mark is the executive director of the Ridgedale and New Hope YMCAs and is driven up for worship today. So welcome, Mark, and thank you. Mark has been a real pioneer in Christian emphasis work in the YMCA. And I'm privileged to call him not just a colleague, but he has become a friend. Next to him is Brian Roop. Brian, can we have you stand? Brian is a retired CEO who in retirement moved to Coon Rapids and has been such a blessing to us in our Christian Principles Network across the Twin Cities Y. So Brian's going to lead us in prayer later. And welcome to you, Brian. I think I got everybody. What a joyful day today as we celebrate the bicentennial of the birth of George Williams. When Esther and I first moved to Elk River, we were in our 20s, no kids, and this building was still being built. This place where we are seated right now was a construction site. In fact, Esther applied for a job to work at the front desk of the YMCA, and she applied in one of those mobile trailers, you know, that they just pull on a property, and that's where her job interview was. So then the fall of 2008, the YMCA opened, and I don't remember in those early weeks or months when I first came here, but whenever it was, I am quite sure it was for the hot tub. So when I think of my favorite thing at the Y, I would have a membership just for that. But then in 2009, we knocked on the doors here and asked about planting a church. Now, I had no idea about the history and mission of the Y when we first inquired. I had no idea that the YMCA's own constitution speaks of, this is a quote, reverently and joyfully confessing faith in Jesus, or that it claims, quote, unswerving allegiance to his church. And what I found out was that the Y didn't really know those things either. We just thought we would try to partner together and do something, and we signed a lease agreement to use the community room for 45 bucks a Sunday. What we've discovered since then is that the Y and the church have a rich history together and a tremendous potential when we partner together in mission. So today we celebrate the YMCA's founder, George Williams, on what would have been his 200th birthday. But far more than that, we pause to remember the story of what God has done through the YMCA And we do so because it's a story at risk of being forgotten. 
There's a scene in The Lion King, the movie. Have they redone The Lion King since I remember the one from the 90s? In the one from the 90s, there's the scene where Simba has wandered far from home and his father Mufasa appears to him in the night sky. And if you remember in that scene what Mufasa tells his son again and again, he says to him, remember who you are. So that's what we want to do today. We want to tell this story and remember who we are. We do this every year and we usually call this Why the Why Sunday. W-H-Y the YMCA. Why are we here in this space as a church? Why have we made this our home? And often we start the year this way. Usually back in January we would have done this. But if you remember January, I am pretty sure we were still all tucked at home in our living rooms watching church on a screen. And so we said, now let's hold on to that Sunday. Now let's do it when we can all be together in this space again. And let's do it in October for George Williams' birthday. So praise God we're here We are here in person, there is cake, and we have an amazing story to tell. Now normally in our message time, our pattern Sunday to Sunday is to work through a text of scripture, and so this is going to be one of those few exceptions where we we really are going to tell a story that is anchored in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 11, and to those verses we will return at the end of the message. But here's the story. And I love to tell this, and I hope over the years some of you could probably tell it just as well or better than I could. That in October of 1821, actually October 11th, so we're celebrating a day early, George Williams was born in this little farm in southern England. George Williams was born to his parents, listen to this, the eighth of eight sons. So... I don't know for sure, but I'm just guessing that by the time you're having your eighth kid and it's another boy after you've had seven, there was probably very little fanfare the day that George Williams was born. In any case, George grew up there with all these older brothers and he's trying to find his place, trying to figure out life on the farm and what it looks like to grow up in this family as any normal kid would. And with that in mind, what an opportunity we had two years ago in 2019 to take 18 students and adult leaders to that very farm. And we did this trip to walk in the footsteps of George Williams. And one of the key points we made as we went on this journey was that George Williams was just an ordinary kid. The biographers who write about him, they say when they you know, surveyed townspeople, he was kind of high-strung nervous. I mean, he sounds like so many of us. And that was George Williams going through the daily routines of school and farm life. But one thing became very clear to his family as the years went by, and that was that George was clumsy and uncoordinated and really a liability on the farm. And it all came to a head one day when George was a teenager and he was driving a horse-drawn cart of hay back toward home, trying to beat a storm that's closing in. And so in his haste and rushing the job, he hits this big rut in the road and he ends up tipping over the whole hay cart. All the hay bales, the cart, the horses, and George himself end up in the ditch. And so when he got home 
and his family helped with this whole mess, they held a family meeting. And his father and his older brothers all decided, George, we're sure you're good at something. It's just not being a farmer. And they essentially kicked him off the farm. And they said, George, it's time to head to the city and try your hand at something else. And so they sent him away to a town called Bridgewater, about 30 miles away, where he would learn the drapery trade. A draper in those times was somebody who worked with cloth. We get that, right? Drapes in your house. And dry goods. And so George was 15 when he arrived at Bridgewater. And he described himself in his own words as careless, thoughtless, godless, and vulgar. But listen to this. By the time he left Bridgewater, he was an earnest, enthusiastic, wholehearted worker for Christ and his kingdom. So how did that happen? How does that happen? Maybe you're thinking of teenagers in your house and you're thinking, how does that happen? Well, for George, it happened over time and it happened quietly. And it started when a friend invited him to church. There's a lesson there, isn't there? Never underestimate an invitation. And some of us are sitting in this very room because somebody invited us to come along. So like I said, George's story was not really dramatic conversion. It was this steady warming of the heart. And George in turn then was responding to that. You know, when God is tugging at your heart, you can either dig your heels in or you can step a little closer. His biographer wrote, George was seeking Christ, and listen to this, and was placing himself in the way of finding him. So one Sunday evening, George slipped into Friar Chapel. He slips into Friar Chapel for the evening service, and he's sitting in the back row. Also, never underestimate the back row, right? (laughs) So there he is in the back row, kind of incognito. And he's sitting back there. But that evening in the service, during the message, something happened. The pastor of the church was not known for any special gift of eloquence, no power of persuasion. And yet, as he simply opened the Bible and spoke from the Scriptures, George said that it was like an arrow went from the preacher's mouth straight to his heart. And that night, he went back to his dorm room and he gave his life to Christ. So George Williams' birthday might be tomorrow, but I think it's his spiritual birthday when he was 16 in Bridgewater that George was really born. He later said, and I'm going to read this quote to you as he journaled about this. I first learned in Bridgewater to love my dear Lord and Savior for what he had done for me. I was on the downward road. Some of us have been there. I was on the downward road. I said, can I not escape? Is there no escape? They told me in this town of Bridgewater how to escape. Confess your sins. Accept Christ. Trust in him. Yield your heart to the Savior. And then he said, I cannot describe to you the joy and peace that flowed into my soul when I first saw that the Lord Jesus had died for my sins and that they were all forgiven. The story of the YMCA began with an ordinary, everyday person 
who heard what Jesus had done for him and received it. And everything that follows from here, everything about the YMCA is going to go back to this moment in his life when the foundation of the Y was laid. Now after drapery school in Bridgewater, George Williams got his first real job. And for that, he actually went to the big city of London. The year was 1841. George was now 20 years old. And the drapery firm was called Hitchcock and Rogers. Now getting this job did not come easy. In fact, when he was first introduced, so somebody kind of brought him along and introduced him to the hiring manager, the hiring manager looked him up and down and said, no, right in front of him, no, I've got no place for him. He's too small. Anybody heard that before? He's too small, too slow, not this, not that. Thankfully, George's contact was persistent and begged for a second chance for him, and they begrudgingly gave it to him. Said, well, we'll take him on a trial basis and see how he does. Now, this was at a time in England where young people were coming in from the countryside, just flocking to the big city looking for work. It's on the heels of the Industrial Revolution. So there's factories churning out product, and there's jobs for the taking. But like Charles Dickens wrote about so often in his novels, It was under very tough conditions. And at Hitchcock and Rogers, in the heart of London, imagine this, there's 140 young men who would work from the early morning to late at night, and they lived and worked in the same place. The men would sleep in these crowded little dorm rooms, six in a room in bunk beds. And then they would go and they would work up to 17-hour days working to the bone, and when they were finished or they had a little break, they would drink to numb the pain, they would gamble, they would visit brothels, and all those kinds of things. And as George experienced this daily grind of these conditions, he's there with 139 other young guys just like him, his heart was stirred with compassion for his co-workers. Because he knew it wasn't too long ago that his life looked that exact same way. He knew what it meant to drift and to struggle and to bear the weight of your sin. And he wrote in his journal about his co-workers, I found no means of grace of any kind. And I asked myself, what can I do for these young men? And so some of you have heard this year to year and you know the story. What did he do? Of all the things that he could have done, all the programs he could have launched or strategic plans he could have made. George Williams just committed himself to pray. And to pray name by name for his co-workers working the factory floor with him. Eventually he found one other believer in that entire company and so the two of them would meet And they would begin to pray together, name by name, for every person at the company. And as they did, they found they had opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And one by one, their co-workers started to receive Christ, to hear the good news, and to see their lives transformed. Williams wrote about these days in his journal when he said this, We met, our numbers grew, And the room was soon crammed. 
In answer to prayer, the Spirit of God was present. And the hand of God was moving in such a powerful way through the power of prayer that in just a few short years, I mean, when George had arrived, he didn't know any other Christians in this whole place, but two years later, virtually every single employee, from the president, from Hitchcock and Rogers themselves, down to the lowest employee, had given their lives to Christ. In 1844, 12 of those young men gathered together then in an upper room over the factory floor at Hitchcock and Rogers, and they decided that you know, what was going on here needed a name. They wanted to call this movement something, and so they named it the Young Men's Christian Association. And I think it's fascinating to observe that now the global entity of the YMCA in 120 countries began as a marketplace prayer movement with evangelism and discipleship. It was not a state-of-the-art fitness facility. It was not a YMCA camp or program. It was a few ordinary people who cared about their fellow employees so much that they would take time out of their day to pray for them one by one and look for opportunities to share Jesus with them. George Williams and his fellow workers were new believers. They had very little training. In so many ways, they were not equipped to lead this kind of movement. But the hand of God tends to be upon men and women who surrender their lives to him and trust that God can do abundantly, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So today in London, at the site of what used to be Hitchcock and Rogers. I think it's now like an outdoor REI kind of store. Right there in the shadow of St. Paul's Cathedral, you'll find a plaque set in the wall that memorializes the site. And here's what it says. Here in 1844, George Williams, with 11 other young men employed in the city of London, who shared his zeal and vision founded the Young Men's Christian Association in a drapery house on this site in which he worked and lived. And then listen to this last sentence. From its beginning in this place, inspired of God, the association grew to encompass the world. Now how do you get from a dingy factory floor to encompassing the world? Well, maybe the next part of this story is to tell you about how George Williams would sneak away from the factory when he had a few minutes and he would go not too far away, just a short walk, and he would sit along the banks of the River Thames on a bridge that's still there called Blackfriars Bridge. So Blackfriars Bridge, George Williams would go there essentially to people watch. And he would watch the faces of the men coming into work their shift. Keep in mind, there's no cars. So they are on foot, en masse, coming across this bridge, going to work, and he would look at these guys and he would see their faces. And on their faces, he would see hopelessness. He would see defeat. He would see the hard knocks of life. He would see hangovers. And George's heart just burst with compassion for these men to somehow come to know Jesus. And so the YMCA grew to meet them. And they started to 
reach out into businesses across London. They rented space at a local coffee shop. They moved into a tavern at Radley's Hotel. They opened up another little branch where they stocked it with books. It was a library. And they devoted themselves to Bible classes and teaching. And as individuals, these young men from the city would come and learn about Christ. They would be enfolded into this association of young men who were growing as followers of Jesus. When asked what it was all about in those early days, what are you doing with the YMCA? On the left in this next picture, you'll see the first report of the London YMCA. And in its pages is this answer. That it was simply to influence young men to spread the Redeemer's kingdom amongst those by whom they are surrounded. And so that's what they did. Six years, and the YMCA was in 16 other cities in England. We visited one of them when we were there, and that was Liverpool. It spread to Scotland and to Ireland. And the Y continued its rapid growth to other countries, which brings us to the good old USA. In October of 1851, right? You're doing the math? Remember, the Y started in 1844. In 1851, a retired sea captain named Thomas Sullivan was ministering to sailors in Boston Harbor. And he read a newspaper article in Boston about this organization in London called the YMCA, And he thought this sounded like the perfect way to more effectively share Jesus with the sailors who would come into port in Boston. So he sailed to London to see it firsthand, to meet George Williams, and then he returned to Boston where by Christmas of that year, he founded the first YMCA in the United States. And where was its location? This was a church. Boston's Old South Chapel. And I do not think it's coincidental that the YMCA in the United States started in a church. Well, with such growth and global reach, George Williams and the YMCA realized they desperately needed an organizational meeting, an international meeting. They needed to determine what would bind them all together as the foundation of their work in any country, in any context. So in 1855... The first World Council of the YMCA took place in Paris. Ninety-nine leaders from the YMCA movement came together for that occasion to align themselves with each other and to create the global purpose statement of the Y. And what they drafted and signed into authority is called the Paris Basis. And it is still the governing purpose statement of the YMCA. Here it is. The young men's Christian associations seek to unite those young men who regarding Jesus Christ as their God and Savior, according to the Holy Scriptures, desire to be His disciples in their faith and in their life, and to associate their efforts for the extension of His kingdom amongst young men. The only thing about the Paris basis that has changed is that the why no longer is just reaching young men, but women and people of any age. And I look at this purpose statement, which was reaffirmed in the 70s in Uganda, which was reaffirmed most recently 
1998 at a global summit and will be reaffirmed in 2022. I saw the draft of the constitutional amendments and this still remains front and center. And yet I wonder if there's a part of this story that is at risk of being forgotten. The YMCA was featured in a book a few years ago called Mission Drift. And it was featured as an example and as a warning of what can happen when we forget our story. We forget that the YMCA of the USA says in their own constitution, the Young Men's Christian Association, we regard as being in its essential genius a worldwide fellowship united by a common loyalty to Jesus Christ for the purpose of developing Christian personality and building a Christian society. What is this building here for? Why was it built? George Williams knew what this building was all about, what it was meant to be, as have so many leaders across the history of this movement. I'll tell you about one of my favorites, and that is James Naismith. Anybody recognize James Naismith? I think there's an NBA award named after him. James Naismith invented the game of basketball, and he was a YMCA Phi Ed teacher. He was working at the YMCA College in Springfield, Massachusetts. And when he was asked, what is the work of a YMCA physical director? Do you know what he said? To win men for the master through the gym. You see, this basketball floor was always intended for something greater. This floor was built for the message of the gospel. So on a Sunday like today, we ask ourselves as we remember this story, why the why? Why are we here as a church and not somewhere else in Elk River? We're here because it's about more than just renting space. The YMCA of the North, to which Elk River belongs, has this mission statement. To put Christian principles into practice through programs that build healthy spirit, mind, and body for all. And as the church, we look at the YMCA's mission statement and we say, we love your mission. How can we help you do this? How can we help you remember your story and impact our community and impact the world for Christ? And as we wrap up this kind of historical survey, I do want to share one last figure with you, and that would be John Mott. I can't think of a better place to end this YMCA story than with him. He was an American who led the World Alliance of YMCAs, and he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1946. And when John Mott was asked, after 50 years of leadership, what was his most important leadership lesson Here it is. I'll put this up for you. Jesus Christ constitutes the only enduring foundation for a movement like ours. I found this document, this little folder, in the YMCA archives down at the U of M. John Mott, what have you learned in 50 years of leadership? And he says, Jesus Christ constitutes the only enduring foundation for a movement like ours.
Today there are 14,000 YMCAs in 120 countries. That doesn't happen by accident or by some stroke of luck. It happens because of its foundation. And so in a little different style message this morning, we come to our scripture passage today. And with these words, we also close. And as we read these words again, we remember that Paul wrote these words to this small gathering of people following Jesus in the city of Corinth. A pretty crazy city in its own right. Worldly, ungodly. But right there in the midst of that city, the church was being built, lives were being transformed, and the gospel was going forth. And so Paul, when he wrote this letter to them, said this, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. 200 years ago, George Williams was born. When he was 16, a foundation was laid. And that foundation became the bedrock of the YMCA. And so in our time, we must ask ourselves today, What are we building on? We can ask that personally, like young George in Bridgewater, and we can ask that corporately here in the Y. Because a great task and responsibility has been entrusted to us that we would continue to build with care and to build on the only sure foundation that is Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, it is a holy and sacred thing to come under the authority of your word. And to take in this story, Lord, and to just pause and remember the wonderful things that you have done through the life of such an ordinary person. And I pray, Lord, that George Williams' example on this, his 200th birthday, would just deeply inspire and encourage each one of us here. Maybe some of us, Lord, feel like we're on the downward way and we're wondering if there's escape. Maybe some of us, Lord, are living under this sense of being too small or too insignificant. And so today, Lord, we come to you anew and we just surrender All that we have, which isn't much, before your great throne. That we would stand in line and take our turn with these builders. And that you would do something great with what we have. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you today. We praise you and thank you for all that you have done all that you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, 
check us out online at thewhychurch.org.